Hey, welcome to the Student Industry Podcast by Lifeway. We're glad you're here. That's producer Nathan right there. What's up? How's it going? It's good. I'm Ben Trueblood. We're going to be hanging out with you for the next little bit. I'm going to introduce our guest to you in just a moment. We're super excited to have him on today. But before we get there, you know what I'm about to say. If you've ever listened to the podcast before, I'm going to say it anyway, because repetition is good. We'd love for you to leave a rating and review. We love to hear what you think. We'd love to see the stars that you think about this podcast. It helps other people find the podcast. It also helps us know what you think about the podcast so that we can continually make it better. So that's where the words part of the rating comes in. We'd love to know what you like about it. So we can keep doing that. We love to know what you would change. We love to know what you would like us to cover. We read every single one of those and we talk about them, actually make changes to the podcast because of them. So thanks for leaving the rating and review. We really appreciate it. Well, I want uh, to introduce you to our guest for today. Friend, been on the podcast before. Uh, Jose Rodriguez, CEO, founder, Rescue a Generation Ministry. He's an author. We're excited, Jose, married to Erica. We're excited to have you on the podcast again. Welcome, my friend. Thanks so much, Ben. Uh, what an honor uh, to be back on the Lifeway podcast and uh, excited for all this happening right now. I'm looking forward to this conversation, seeing where we go. It's going to be fun. Dude, a quick congratulations because uh, one of the things we want to talk about is an exciting project that you've been working on that I think youth pastors, you're going to, you're going to want this book on your shelf. It's, it's going to help you. It's going to help your leaders think about student ministry. Jose is releasing a new book with us called rescue a generation. So you're, you're, you're we're developing a theme here that you'll notice. It's the name of his ministry. It's the name of the, it's the name of the book. Um, but that is releasing on September the 15th. And so yeah, student pastors, you're going to want to check that out. So Jose, congratulations, man. It's right around the corner. Man. Thanks so much, Ben. Like what an honor to do this with Lifeway. And it's been an exciting journey just from beginning to end and really excited to get uh, this resource into the hands of as many youth workers, youth pastors as we possibly can. So thank you to Lifeway uh, Publishing and, and you, you've been for connecting dots. It's just been incredible. Man, I'm happy to. Uh, I'm excited to see how God uses this in a lot of youth ministries uh, all over the place. It's going to be yeah. really, really fun to see and hear about. Um, Jose and Erica both will be joining us for our launch event, August yeah. the 25th. So that's a uh, online streaming event through the Student Ministry That Matters YouTube channel. Um, you can find out more information about that event at lifeway.com slash launch 2022. So you can go there, register, and uh, and get everything you need, all the information there. But Jose and Erica are both going to be a part of that event where we focus in on parent ministry. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. Jose, I have this question for you. Um, in the past, when I have written, uh, particularly my my first my first book, it became for me personally more about the journey that God had taken me on in my life yeah. than the book itself. Like there were a lot of moments that I had to just step back from the keyboard and think, God, like you really did this or remember a place where he challenged and corrected me through the process. 
So I'm guessing that happened the same for you as you wrote this. And I'd love to hear about some of those moments that youth just sat there and thought, man, God, look what you've done. Oh man. What a, what a great question to start the, the journey for writing, um, man, this particular one was so interesting because if I'm real honest, when I was youth pastoring specifically, I found myself in the comparison game. Like I feel like a lot of people do. And, uh, you know, you, I have a bunch of friends that have mega youth ministries. They're, uh, just, they're killing it. Right. And I was in the middle of San Bernardino and for whatever reason felt like I couldn't get above about 50 students. And I'm, I'm rewriting this, this resource and I'm referencing back to the stories of really some of the hardest cases that I had. And I had this moment where I was like, man, God really trusted me with some of the hardest to reach students. And I had one, one job really, which was to be faithful and obedient. And I writing it, feeling like I did that. Uh, mm-hmm. To me, kind of took that comparison thing. I almost was kind of like convicted. Like, why was I even comparing in the first place? Because what God entrusted me with was so special, so important. And so as I'm writing this and I'm, I'm telling some of those stories, it was just, uh, it was a moment for me of realizing how big of a deal it was to steward 50 really challenging stories and backgrounds and upbringings um, and to show up and to be a presence in their life, it w- was an incredible honor. And um, yeah, but while I was in the middle of it, Ben, I didn't, I was like, why can't I get to a hundred? Yeah. Why, why can't I get yeah. to 200? But man, writing this was like, man, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I was faithful with 50. And uh so yeah, that that was kind of the whole experience for me. It, it kind of took me back to my frontline youth pastor days, and now here we are. Get a chance to write about those stories, dude. That uh, that comparison story. Um, I mean, I've got one. I feel like most student pastors that I've taught, I won't say all, anytime you say all or never, right? Like you're not supposed to do that with your spouse. <laughs> I feel like you're not supposed to do that in these kind of situations either, uh, either. But uh, man, so many people that share the, the calling of student ministry and have, and have done that have had some kind of comparison story or, they're dealing with it right now. Like there's probably youth pastors listening to this that if they stopped and thought for a minute, like, is this really a problem for me? Chances are that there, there might be a little bit of that in there. And oftentimes it takes being away from it and being into the future to look back, just like you articulated to look back and say, Oh, I have now seen that what I was doing then is exactly what I was supposed to be doing with those 50 students and those 50 stories that, that, that of, of teenagers in your ministry. Why was I even comparing that? That is where God had me. Yeah. And so I, just to make a quick application, youth pass, like you don't have to write a book to get to that point. You don't, this, this is one of the, like, at the end of every year, maybe journal a little bit yeah. throughout the year, write down 
So, and maybe God will use that writing down process to kind of refine us. So man, here you are, you've, you've walked through the journey, you've seen back, uh, what, what are some things that you would go back, uh, and, and maybe change about your youth ministry journey as you wrote this book? Like, what are the things that, that God brought up and said, Oh, I'm, I'm writing this now maybe cause I did it the wrong way. You know, that one of those learn from my mistakes kind of thing. Yeah. Oh man. What a good question. I know. So one of the things that I think, um, going through school, studying, you know, theology, a concentration in youth ministry, getting the education, which I really valued and learning, even in one of the chapters, I talk about how important it is to like exegete the text. But I think one of the, one of the things that I would go back and do different is I would spend just as much time. And I say this in the book, but I, I would spend just as much time exegeting the people, if I can say it that way, as I did the text, uh, because there were moments where I was more concerned in ministry about how good my message was, how how you know how much I studied. Like I was more concerned about that uh, than the relational equity that I had or should have had uh, with students, and not just the students that were in my youth group. I felt like I could have I could have been so much more to so many more students if I made that the emphasis, like, but I didn't, I was, I was kind of in this, like, okay, be a good youth pastor, you know, like, and so for me, I would have spent so much more time, man, in the community, learning the community, learning the key players in the community. Like I didn't do as much time with that. And I had hard cases given. So I had people that were well-known in the community for all the wrong reasons, uh, (laughs) but I could have been, way more involved with them in the community than I was. And so that for me, as I'm writing this resource, I'm like, man, the ministry of presence is such a big deal in communities where there's not a lot of it. Like San Bernardino was the second poorest city in the nation. Not a lot of people are signing up saying, send me there. Right. I could have done so much more being a presence in this community, but instead I was, I was trying to, again, probably some of that comparison trying to be the good youth pastor, trying Mm -hmm. to do the pastor stuff. Right. And so I think I could have done way more with that. So as I'm writing, I'm reflecting like, man, if I would have just turned that knob up a little bit, it would have been a game changer. Yeah. Knowing that it's like knowing the audience, them, them knowing you care about them outside of the church walls makes the message even better. Right. Makes it more connective thousand percent. What are some things that you, uh, so like, let's fast forward a couple months and there's some youth pastors that sit down with rescue a generation. What do you hope they walk away from having read your story and what God has done through you? Yeah. You know, I, th- I feel like and in, in, in conversations with youth pastors from all over the place, I feel like Every youth pastor has students who are hard to reach, whether they're urban or not. Obviously, my experience has been predominantly urban, but every youth ministry has kids who are falling through the cracks, who are uh, probably would be considered at risk or high risk, even if it's just simply because of a divorced home or a single parent or whatever that is. And my hope is, as they're sitting down with this resource, that they think of the names of students 
who have challenging backgrounds and they're better equipped to show up for them in times that they really like need somebody to show up for them. I would say this, and, and we live in a broken world. So, you know, everybody's broken at some level, but with some of these more extreme cases of like brokenness that we see in students, I just wish uh, people knew that it was messy, but that it was still worth it. Like, cause it is, it's messy. It's like, it is. It, it's, there's no cookie cutter way to do it. It gets, I used to say like, man, you know, you're an urban youth pastor when supporting your kids is in a courtroom as a character witness and not mm-hmm. in a, at a basketball court or a basketball game. And like, it's messy, especially when you know they're guilty. Like, like literally had guilty kids like that. I have to show up and be like, yeah, they're in my youth group. Like that's messy. But yeah. the fact that we showed up like matters and it means something. And so I just want, I want youth workers to be equipped to go the distance for those kids that are harder to reach in within their context. Yeah, man, you're right. It, regardless of context and the mess looks different from place to place, but there still is mess and there still are teenagers that are really hard to reach and stories that would make your jaw drop if you knew them. And those exist everywhere and everywhere. Man, it, it is it is probably a true statement that in student ministry, if it's not a little messy, you're not you're not doing it right. Like there you're gonna have to be with people. So true. Man, what are you uh talk about some of the things that stand out to you about the book, like from a volunteer standpoint? Because I know that you connect with a lot of volunteer youth pastors. So people who lead the ministry that are bivocational or volunteer, and also a lot of volunteer leaders that would, you know, they're just, they're people in the church that are given their time to lead a small group or something like that. Um, As I've seen what you've written, one of my thoughts was this isn't just great for youth pastors. It actually is going to be something that a youth pastor could walk his team through and that those volunteers would probably get a more a greater understanding of what student ministry is by walking through your book. So I would love you to I would love for you to highlight from that angle what you some of the things that you think would be valuable there. Hey, yeah, thank you. The great question again. I think so. A couple of thoughts I have. The first one is this. I think you know at the end of the book we talk about what does it mean to be healthy and survive as a person in youth ministry. And for me, I don't think that's just for youth pastors. That's for every volunteer ministry leader of any sort. When you are, uh, and the reason I call it rescue a generation, because we live in a world where students are drowning in all types of stuff. And when you are the one that's diving into the water with them to help them, you have to make sure you're okay. You got to know boundaries. You got to know your limits. You got to know your own emotional health and, and when to tap out and say, I need a break. Like, and so for me thinking about, I mean, you know, whatever volunteer in whatever context, bivocational or, or full-time youth pastor, that's like volunteering youth pastor, right? Like the healthy component was the one component in my youth pastor days that I missed until it was almost too late and it almost ruined me. And so for me, I'm like, 
I think every person who gets in youth ministry needs to know how to do it effectively and remain healthy through the process. So that way you don't uh, burn out, punk out, or back out before that season that God has you in is completely done. And I've just seen way too many people, not just in youth ministry, but in ministry, man, tap out too early or leave before their time was really up. And so you get all these awkward, either moral failures or transitions that that really could have been prevented if we would have been healthy. And so, uh, yes, very practical tips that are going to help them you know, be effective and, and really relate to some of these young people, man, but that health side of things, I, that's to me was the most important part of the book. It's like, how do you save somebody else without drowning while you're trying to do that? And mm-hmm. so for me, to me, I think that's what I'm most hopeful that volunteers bivocational who, who are juggling a lot of things can remain healthy through the process. Yeah, man. I want to come back. Uh, I want to ask you a question about, health as a pastor. And I want to get, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of time to think about your answer. Cause I want to go to producer Nathan here in a second. Yeah. Uh, but I want you to, I want you to give us some warning signs, like say there are youth pastors that are listening to this that are approaching burnout or back out. And so I, I would love to hear some, some warning signs that you feel like, Hey, if this is happening, if you're feeling this way, if you're seeing these things, then, then that you might be in danger of, of leading from an unhealthy place. Nathan, uh, when Jose was talking about how you save someone from drowning with, without also drowning yourself, the story that you've told on the podcast before about, Mm -hmm. uh, when you literally did that off the coast of South Africa on her, Jose, Nathan has a lifeguard background and it was on a, I'll let you tell, but you were, you give us the short version, Nathan, but that this is, this is exactly literally what you did. Yeah. So, um, I've, I've grew up lifeguard at, you know, high school 16, then got into aquatics, uh, working for the YMCA aquatic sports director there, that kind of stuff, background teaching lifeguarding. And that's a big thing with, with lifeguarding is knowing the signs of someone struggling, uh, and those kind of things. And I think it's exactly what you were talking about there, Jose, seeing those warning signs in kids. A lot of times people think, you know, Oh, somebody about to drown is like splashing around and making a lot of noise. All seven of my rescues. And then the one in the ocean, they didn't make a noise or a sound. If I wasn't looking and paying intense, intensely to the pool, I would have missed it because it's they're they're swimming along and all of a sudden they just kind of slowly sink below the water. And I think that's what we see in students today is they're not making a lot of noise. It's just, if we're not paying attention, they just kind of slip under the water and then it's too late. But yeah, back to that, Ben, same kind of deal. So I was in Africa on a mission trip, waves started getting stronger. We didn't realize that the tide had changed and was, uh, the was pulling out and we had a kid kind of out on the edge of the breakers and about 30 yards out in the ocean. And, uh, one of the people was like, started yelling and saw this kid. So I immediately just dove in and I took, I took off that, that was, the water was moving anyway, super cold. Um, but anyway, we get out there and try to help the kid. And so nine times out of 10, what happens is when you get to the person who's struggling is they try to climb on top of you. And we all know what water is like with physics that doesn't work. All that does is push you underwater. So you have to push them up so they can try to get air. You go down, swim out and reapproach. And and I did this several times with this, with this, with this student um, until we could kind of get him calmed down, that kind of stuff as well. And then by literally a miracle of God, the 
the tide switched and we were able to come we ended up getting swept out to see about 200 yards before the tide switched and we were coming back in it's it's a it's a wild crazy story that's totally a god thing i, I legitimately wow. thought out there in the ocean for about 30 minutes struggling with this like they're going to pick us up from a helicopter if they can about two miles offshore but uh by god's grace we were able to get get back in but it, it is it's one of those things where you you've got to be prepared and your health is a huge deal as to how successful you can be in that rescue are you prepared in that situation i didn't have like a lifeguard buoy or something like that but like that's another area of preparation so kind of you know to tie the analogy all together it's it's an insane story like wow they like they film shark week like in that same area of where you yeah. like that's there, where you, there's no lifeguards at the beach but up on top of the hill is the shark spotter that will raise a flag if they see the great whites <laughs> uh, which is real reassuring uh I found I've realized how fast we were being swept out into the ocean whenever a big oblong object raced by underneath us. And at first I was like, oh, great, there's a shark. Uh, but no, it was just a rock. And then I was like, oh, man, we are moving fast. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's also the waters in like the low, maybe mid 50s. So you're instantly numb when you go in. So, I mean, it was a miracle we didn't have hypothermia and other problems and all that kind of stuff like it. We were in the water longer than the Navy SEALs trained for in Coronado okay. in this, at the same temperature of water. Well, so. uh, man, I, you're basically a Navy SEAL. Nah, I don't I know think about we that. Can... <laughs> <laughs> Never going to claim that. <laughs> no, but yeah. So like if you do a cold plunge, you're supposed like it's the water's in the 50s and you're supposed to only stay in it like minutes. Yeah. So every time that you talk about that story, I'm just blown away. But what you said right before that about students to about the people drown. You think they splash around and make a bunch of noise, yeah. but yours have all been quiet and Jeez. relating to the students today that are drowning, but just not saying anything about, it. they're not screaming, come help me. They're not right. That statement, Nathan is unbelievable. And it is so true. And to Jose, connect a couple things that you've talked about. You can yeah. only spot those if you're trained. You can only spot those drowning students if you're exegeting the community, if you're knowing yeah. teenagers, if there's if there's connection. Or, like, you can't do that for everyone as the youth pastor, but you're training your leaders who are with them to be able to notice those, yeah. those drowning people. Nathan, dropping some... some <laughs> Ruth today. I said, there, there's the podcast right there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Jose, I would love to go back, uh, back to that question now and, and working with a lot of people and walking through, uh, walking through this yourself, as you mentioned, like yeah. what are some warning signs that you would give to youth pastors to like a little health check? Yeah, that man, such a great question. I, you know, I think, uh, I, to Nathan, what Nathan said, I think, yes, applies to students and there's stuff that we can look for in students where they kind of will sink silently. But I would say the same thing is true of youth workers, volunteers and youth pastors. And I think what happens is uh, one of the things I would say, the first check is how are you feeling? Now, I know that sounds real just basic, but what I have found was there were moments where I was the most at risk for burnout or moral failure. And I did fall into a moral failure situation. But what happened was uh, I found myself numb to how I was typically feeling. So things where I would feel happy, I wasn't very happy about. I was just going through the motions. And so I think looking for that numbness or that just going through the motions or I'm just doing 
what I got to do to survive. To me, that's a clear sign that you're on the brink or the verge of, man, either crashing and burning or just saying, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Um, The other thing, and uh, this part was, it's maybe a little bit harder to catch sometimes depending on personalities, uh, but people get really irritable when they're tired, right? And so like almost looking for things happening out of character, like when when a youth worker is tired. In the student context, it's the same thing. Uh, when, a, when a student is dealing with a lot of stuff at their home, they're going to act out in their behavior, um, or sometimes they will uh, go super silent, right, where they're not super expressive. So you're going to see one of two different responses. Youth workers are the exact same way. You're either going to see them kind of lash out in some moments or that numbness will will kick in and they're going to go super introverted when that's not their typical personality. Uh, For me, I felt like I could fake it quite a bit and that was the most dangerous side. So like I was, I, I would say I did what Nathan said, like, I was going through the motions. It didn't look like anything was wrong with me, but I was struggling under the water, like what was really happening until all of a sudden it all came out and then everybody's shocked by it. Well, that was just because I got really good at numbing it and Mm -hmm. going through the motions. So I think some real health checks are, how are you feeling like legitimately? Are you tired? When have you taken a break? What's your Sabbath look like? Those are small things that I think are extremely crucial in working with high um, risk or at risk students because uh, you got to be able to feel yourself to help them. Yeah, man, you you mentioned it uh, situation in your own life. You talk about it in the book. Yeah. Uh, and your story is one of redemption. Your story is one that that God has uh, has brought you through and. I think redemption or rescue yeah. is a great word for that. So as you write a book about rescue a generation who you yourself has, have come through some rescue moments and some redemption moments, how does that, how does the theme of this book in rescuing a generation come through with your own story? You know, I used to have this uh, maybe naive thought, that I only needed to be rescued or saved at my moment of salvation when I was a teenager, when I was in the middle of all of my mess, gangs and drugs and broken family. I thought some, I thought maybe that was when I needed to be saved. And it wasn't until I had this big moral failure uh, that I realized uh, that rescue that happened to me when I was 15 I needed so desperately when I was, I think, 28 or 29 as well. And so then for me, it it almost repositioned my thought on really God rescuing me on a daily basis. And Mm -hmm. so there are moments today when I'm in over my head and I feel inadequate and I don't feel like I'm, I'm graced to do what he's calling me to do. And there's those moments that I need to be rescued. And then there are those those moments where I, I just blow it, I, I tell a lie, I do something, and it's like, I need to be rescued in those moments as well. And so uh, I, I say this I say this at some point, probably several times throughout the book, but 
I feel like I'm proof that God still rescues people. Mm, I mean, from so. from the gangs to the to the family to still in a church van to I mean, like the whole nine yards to the moral failure as a pastor, like at multiple points in my life, I needed the rescuing hand of God and so, so grateful that he stepped in every single time uh, because he's just that good and he's that gracious. And so for me, um, why wouldn't we, like I love what the apostle Paul says in Corinthians, remember you weren't always where you are. At some point you were foolish you were poor, you were broken, and how God takes foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So I think when we think back about our personal stories, not just the big salvation moment, but the several moments after that, that I needed him to rescue me, it makes sense why we would now go rescue a generation because I feel like God wants to put people who have been rescued on display to show this generation that they too can be rescued. Man. That's awesome. I am, uh, I'm so encouraged by your story. I'm encouraged by what God's done and doing through you, Jose, and through you and Erica as you lead Rescue a Generation. Uh, man, my prayers are that he uses this book in the same way to encourage others. It's coming out September 15th, right around the corner. We're pumped for you. And uh, youth pastors, you can check that out uh, at lifeway.com. You can just search Rescue a Generation. You can get more information there. Jose, thank you for spending some time with us. And uh, we've got a we've got an event coming up soon that we'll see you again. Absolutely. Looking forward to it, Ben. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, man. Hey, we'll uh me and Nathan will be right back in just a minute. So hang right there. Hey, I want to correct one thing earlier in the podcast, the website for launch. It is studentministry.lifeway.com slash. So again. Sorry about that, but the correct website is studentministry.lifeway.com slash launch 2022. And come September 15th, I hope you check out Jose's book. So Nathan, here we are. What, uh, what do you, well, before we get to, uh, man, I just, again, I think one of the things that's going to stick with me a long time is how you linked a drowning victim and how they, how they act with students yeah. in our culture today. I think it is a scare it is a scary beautiful picture of the importance of the role of so many people listening to this and the importance of parents that are looking for the same things and the partnership that exists between church and home and all of those factors. So many times we listen and look for the ones right. that are screaming out and it's the ones that aren't screaming yeah. that and are in most danger. So Man, I think that's one of the things that's going to walk mm. that I'm going to walk away with, as well as Jose's last statements about mm -hmm. his own journey and those who have been rescued, God putting on display in order to rescue others. I think is a because we're all people that mm -hmm. need day by day rescuing, yeah. every single one of us. Uh, so I'm thankful for his transparency and the work yeah. that God's done in his life. What about what about yeah, you? I really like how you talking about with? the just the health of the minister um, is crucial too to the ministry when you're working with that generation or with, with students really with any and no matter what role you have in the church what you know that could be music to 
anything else. Like the health, obviously your health matters the most. I really liked how you talked about that, linking that to some of those warning signs that he gave of being, of, of what that burnout might look like, whether that's your, you just kind of wake up one day and like, I just feel like I'm going through the motions or some of those, those kind of things. Yeah, we all know there's ups and downs in ministries, but that's a, ups and downs can be different than the burnout or the, you know, where you are spiritually, your own spiritual health. Those, those I think are different things. Well, another good one. All right. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Student Ministry Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.